Welcome to Spill the Tea, a bi-weekly download of life, liberty, and the latest in culture and news with your hosts, Dr. Robert McClure and Sal Nuzzo. Welcome to another episode of Spill the Tea. I am Sal Nuzzo, Vice President of Policy with JMI. Here with me is our President and CEO, Dr. Bob McClure. Uh, Bob, I mean, we cannot dive in without first talking about uh, the inauguration of uh, Ron DeSantis as Florida's governor, the 46th governor. An interesting thing I heard at the inauguration was... He is our 46th governor, and yet Jeanette Nunez is only the 20th lieutenant governor in the state. I'm still trying to figure out how that happened. I'm sure we'll get an email right, or two to, right. to inform us, but neat little thing. But what what were your takeaways from the inauguration? First of all, um, I just thought that the for a second inauguration, so you know, typically somebody wins their first term, the enthusiasm is through the roof. The second one... Slightly more muted, yeah. you know, generally. Yeah. Uh, I thought the enthusiasm from the people there, from everyone there, from the elected officials across the board, uh, was it was almost like a first inauguration in terms of the enthusiasm. Absolutely. It was, it was amazing. Now, you know, is that because people are wondering what his national ambitions are or not? But I just thought the enthusiasm was huge. You and I both were at the inauguration. Uh, we went to the ball. We, you know, we were checking all of that out, um, and so that was the first one. The second one I thought was it was in a sense a tale of two speeches. The first speech was about being governor of the state of Florida, and the second speech was very much national in scope in the sense that he was preaching robust federalism, robust role of the states. And he was contrasting the the success at the state level and the efficiencies at the state level with the swamp mess that uh, Washington D.C., regardless of which party yep. is in charge, yep. uh, seems to to be so out of touch with the rest of the country. Those were the yep. two takeaways that I had. The, the only thing I would add to that, because I agree with both of those sentiments, is that. The sense of optimism in both the speech as it related to Florida and from the crowd, which, as you mentioned, we were there. There were people that couldn't get into right. the area who had tickets. They ended up having to watch it from the street on a big jumbotron. The sense of optimism from the crowd about Florida's position nationally mm-hmm. is something that is an incredible contrast to what we see on Twitter, to what we see on cable news, to what we see on social media nationally, there is this kind of continuing malaise nationally when you think about the the dynamics between the parties, between conservatives and liberals, the economy, the economy, right. everything. Stock market, yes. And the sense of optimism in what the governor brought to that speech and how the crowd responded is something that it made me incredibly glad and proud to be a resident of Florida at this very time. Right. No, I I thought the same thing. And uh, that enthusiasm carried over into um, his speech and uh, the response to his speech. And, you know, I, I I just thought it was quite fascinating to see that kind of you know, response from the, quote, people, end quote, who were there, uh, the people of the state of Florida, in terms of 
what they think of their home state. You know, yeah. Florida is kind of a state of immigrants in a lot of ways. I mean, there are people who have many people are all from somewhere else, and yet you're starting to see this cohesion around the, how many times we hear it yesterday, free state yep. of Florida. And so yeah. now people, like much like Texans, are you know kind of obnoxious about the fact that they're from Texas, you're starting to see this really interesting cohesion around, I'm a Floridian, and we haven't seen that. I, I really hope we don't get as obnoxious as Texans right. can get about their state, but it, it is a very... It's kind of salient point that you have in Florida a state of migrants. And some of those migrants have come from other countries. They've come from areas in South America, from Central America, from Mexico, from Cuba. And some, many have come from other states who are escaping New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Illinois. Illinois. Yeah. Yeah, and they're coming. And as the governor pointed out, Florida is the uh, is the leader in net in migration from other states. I think it's like either 312,000 last year or 321,000. I can't remember the number, but that I mean, I did the math on it, it was something like 800 and change a day are moving right. to right. the state of Florida and it is creating this sense of state pride. We were on the riser and uh just behind us were a bunch of journalists that we had engaged with who we had, you know, sat with. They had come from New York, from California, and from Illinois, and had come and, and moved to Florida two years ago because of what Governor DeSantis has done. Journalists. And yeah, journalists. It's amazing that you said that. I mean that 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 you, you you carve out that term and it's journalists who are moving. Yep. You know, it's unbelievable. So, um, you know, the, the legislature is also gearing up. They are the ones that send the governor's priorities right. to him in, in legislative form. The inauguration coincides yep. with the first committee week yep. of the year. Typically, we have, what, four to six committee weeks yep. before legislative session, which starts uh, the first Tuesday in March. Correct. Uh, it's just for our listeners to understand. So we are, not only did we have the inauguration yesterday, we now have begun the work of governing and legislating with this first committee week. Yeah, and I would expect, and, and in talking with a number of policymakers over the course of uh, the last several days while they're here, I would expect 2023's legislative session to be as aggressive as we have ever seen in terms of bringing the governor's priorities to his desk. And and at the top of this kind of list, he has spoken a couple of times publicly in the last couple of weeks, and that is full-blown labor reform for um for teachers in the state of Florida full blown t- uh, teacher paycheck protection ensuring that workers are protected from coercion among teachers unions getting the school districts and the counties out of the business of collecting and right. remitting dues right. which is basically a waste of taxpayer dollars this is an issue we've worked on at JMI for a number of years and to finally see the governor highlight that specifically on I think it was two different speeches in the last week and a half says a lot about how aggressive I think we're going to see policy move in the coming weeks and months. Yeah, I I talked with someone who was talking about how this session, you know, in Florida with term limits, things run in two-year blocks. Correct. Um, And so uh, I was talking with someone who was talking about how they're going to be incredibly aggressive and front-load things like paycheck protection, as you were talking about, like uh, more uh, and more ambitious school choice 
bill. I think you're going to see things in healthcare, the tax and regulatory environment. Uh, even though Florida doesn't have a state income tax, you can target you know uh, tax cuts for different things and you know and and in, improve the regulatory environment always. And, and to to uh, that point, really quick. I mean, you have a proposal from Senator Lauren Book, who's actually the Democrat leader in the right. Florida Senate, to make the diaper uh, tax that had been um, kind of uh, rolled back to make that permanent. So I think you're going to see the governor, or at least I hope, because you know you want good policy moving forward, regardless of which party it's moving the the policy. I think those are things where the governor can be looking to even Democrats who are practical Democrats on ways to advance tax relief to Floridians. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you're going to see the governor move more on election integrity yep. to to uh, protect the ballot box in Florida, even though you know the last election was pristine. You're looking for those kinds of things. Um, you know, I think one of you know we we've talked a lot already on the podcast about finally getting this property insurance uh, deal passed. I think one of the other, in addition to our property insurance market, which was a disaster, one of the other major major issues for the state of Florida is uh, that could be a black eye for us is the is kind of the ju- judicial hellhole that we kind of have here. Yep. I think you'll you know do you think you're going to see some tort more tort reform moves here? I, I think there's a chance that what they kind of I, I don't want to say they left it on the table from the special session, but one of the things that they did not um, go you know the entire way on was addressing some of the bad faith uh, issues in the tort system that are a little bit separate and apart from the property insurance thing that was such a big right. thing to undertake in the special session. I wouldn't be shocked if there is more tort reform addressing bad faith uh, among mm-hmm. uh, the trial bar because I've talked to a number of small business owners, you know guys who own you know, you know, haul long haul truckers and different things like that. They're very, very concerned about uh, the trial bar yep. uh, because they have to deal with it on a daily basis. And so, I you know, I would like to see uh, more um, tort reform, meaningful tort reform. You know, with this legislative session, and yeah, it's always hard to get. It's yeah. always hard to get. Yeah, and, and as long as we're talking about legislatures, I'd like to shift up to yeah. uh, the United States Congress. Yeah. Uh, as we record this, we have gone through, I think, three or four votes uh, for U.S. Uh, Speaker of the House. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin McCarthy does not have. Uh, enough votes to secure the gavel. At the last vote I saw, he was 20 votes uh, shy, mm-hmm. uh, or or 20 Republicans had decided they were not going to support him. And Voting with the, for other yeah, people. Yeah. With the margin, he does not have uh, anywhere close to uh, the support he needs. Uh, do you think he somehow ekes it out? Do you think he makes concessions? Do you think Another consensus person, someone maybe like the the voted on majority leader Steve Scalise, emerges. What's your take? You know, I think Kevin McCarthy is a victim of kind of history and circumstance. So pre twenty sixteen, he was relatively considered kind of a you know swampy Republican, Washington D.C. insider, earmarks those kinds of things. Boom, Trump gets elected. He tries to pivot to be more anti swamp. And I think people are remembering what they saw pre um, uh, Donald Trump, love or hate Donald Trump. He exposed a lot of the swamp, uh, what was going on. So I think there is a group, there is a gr- strong group of um, 
um, legislators in Congress uh, who are very concerned about giving him the gavel because we have seen that swampy leadership on the part of Republicans with Mitch McConnell does not result in much success. And so I think I think I think the longer this goes, the the less chance he has to become speaker because I think people are looking for other opportunities. I don't think, you know, people are saying, oh, the American people are gonna be angry about this. I think, you know, if this resolves in a week or ten days, nobody's gonna remember it on day. Short 11. memory right. spans, nobody's yeah. Nobody's gonna care. But I do think there is this divide within the Republican Party of, hey, look, this is the way we've always done it, let's keep doing it. And this group that says, hold on. You know, this is the way we've always done it, and look where it's gotten us. More spending, um, you know, crazy, um, what are the bills called? Like, uh, continue, okay. So, let's. it tells us where it's gotten us. More spending, crazy continuing resolution. Omnibus bills. Yeah, omnibus bills. The, the one that they just passed, yep. which funds it through 2023, I think is criminal. It also, by the way, funds those 87,000 IRS agents. I Correct. Mean, what, what the Senate did there, I thought, with with five days left in in the new year, the last year's session, I thought was criminal. That's a different discussion. Um, so, long winded answer to your question. I think the longer this goes, the worse it is for Kevin McCarthy. I, I agree with you there. The one thing I would also uh, kind of point to is something someone pointed out to me because uh, I was of the concern that the longer this draws out, the worse it is for the conservative movement mm-hmm. as well. And, and someone pointed out uh, the the line from The Godfather, part one, where um, uh, the, the soldier Clemenza is talking with the son Michael and he says, ah, these things got to happen every 10, 15 years. You got to let all of it out, get all the bad blood out and then you go back so to your point i think the one the american people's attention span is not focused on the the race for the united states speaker of the house and once that gets resolved in two weeks it'll be forgotten but i think you're right in that the longer this goes out the worse it gets from mccarthy and my prediction uh and you know uh, maybe don't quote me on it just yet is I think if you get one or two more votes uh, that he does not win, someone like Steve Scalise becomes a very viable consensus pick if those never McCarthy congresspersons refuse under any circumstances to vote for him. Right, right. I I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see, but really the American people, I mean, can you name the last Speaker of the House pre-Nancy Pelosi? Nobody can. I mean, really. I mean, nobody can think about these things or care about them. They do want certain things done once they're elected in an office. But a delay of a week or 10 days is Yeah, and, and to that point even, like pre-Nancy Pelosi, I think a bunch of those speakers happen because of like inner party coups and right. things like that. So it's something that I, I think is going to be, you know, kind of quickly rolled over into the next news cycle. I think the I think an interesting topic moving forward as we come back to the state of Florida uh, is that the Dry Tortuga National Park, yeah. those of you, it's the, as, as I understand it, it is the furthest south American National Park in, in the United in, States. In the United yep. States, right. And it's, it's basically, for those of you that don't know your geography, it's due south of of the state of Florida, south of the Keys. Um, 
You have to access it by boat. You can't, you know, you can't get there otherwise. But the Dry Tortuga National Park closed Monday for a few days due to an influx, influx of Cuban migrants, which I think is interesting. So there's been an influx of Cuban migrants that have landed along the Florida Keys. It's a crazy number. In 2021, there were 840 migrants that came over and landed. In 2022, there were 6,000 plus. That's Those are the ones that they know about. Yeah. So it's really kind of a stunning number. Uh, but dry, the Dry Tortuga National Park has kind of been overrun. So park officials have decided to close the park uh, to figure out, kind of assess the situation. And, you know, that's that's an issue. We, we, always, we, don't, we, we look at Texas, we look at Arizona, and we see, you know, this this open border situation. We don't think that Florida's quite as affected, but they really are. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. And, I mean, this, to me, this highlights two very specific things. One is we still lack a cohesive and consistent policy over border enforcement coast-to-coast across the entire uh, southern part of the United States. Um, Secondly is... I think it's very telling, and this goes to something that I I truly wish conservatives uh, in the country would would talk about more, and that is the fact that you do not see people leaving the United States in mass to go to socialist countries. Right. You see people escaping socialist countries by any means necessary to get to the United States in whatever shape they can, and that despite all of the political acrimony we see that we seem to see right now at this point in time you have more people trying to escape socialist countries to get to the united states than ever before right right it's still the land of opportunity there is still such a thing viewed as the american dream yes. despite what the hard left says and what the uh, elements of the woke culture pretend uh, that this country is somehow different. You know, my favorite quote about uh, immigration and countries is is what former Prime Minister Tony Blair once said. And, he, you know, he's no conservative. At, you know, he was kind of a Bill Clinton, yep. Labor Prime Minister for Great Britain. He said, you know, I kind of judge a country by who's trying to get in and who's trying to get out. And I think that, that crystallizes what America means to uh, the country, but also to the, I mean, what America means to the world. Uh, and we saw some elements of that in Governor DeSantis' speech yesterday. Absolutely. As, the, as that, you know, Reagan-esque shining city on the hill, the light of freedom, all of those metaphors that we've seen, that is a very real thing. Those are not just platitudes. And, and to that point, kind of going back to the speech, I saw a tweet this morning uh, from someone at the swearing-in who said, they were energized by the fact that the people elected a policymaker and an executive in his or her prime. Like someone, I mean, he's a Gen X right. uh, governor. He is 44 years old, I yeah. think. And so rather than what you're seeing a lot of at the federal level uh, with f- people getting elected into their 70s and 80s, right. you've got a policymaker in his prime 
who reflects the values of the constituency he's he's elected to. So he spoke about conservation of the Everglades. He spoke about the border. He spoke about tax relief. He spoke at length about parents and parents' rights. Mm -hmm. And all of those things, I think, kind of speaks back to the sense of optimism that we see. Right. Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders, and Joe Biden are not exactly John F. Kennedy, uh, you know, running for office. I mean, that's where we are in, at the national level. But you're right. At the state level in Florida, across the board, the speaker, the cabinet officers, yes. they're all young, vibrant, yes. visionary, thoughtful, you know, as, as, they, as they consider what's best for the state. Let's uh, let's shift to sports. We, yeah. we love to talk about sports. Uh, a tragic, tragic event at the Cincinnati Bengals uh, game uh, the other night. Um, uh, Demar Hamlin. Uh, I think if you saw it on uh, on TV, you wish you hadn't. Right. And for those of you who hadn't seen it, you don't want to see it. He basically takes a hit direct to the chest. Stands up, collapses, and is administered CPR on the field. Right there on the field. At the time of uh, our recording, now he's still in critical care. Uh, he is intubated. There, you know, um, you know, it, it, it was just this tragic element of you know sport where you recognize that the game is a, a violent game and and I want to say I, I was always have always been against the things like these targeting rules that become a bit subjective I might be changing my mind after seeing the way that that Demar uh, that 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 hit impacted him you know the thing that's interesting to me is the measurable impact his tragic situation has had across the culture. So across Hollywood, yeah. uh, cable uh, news, um, sports channels, ESPN, the, the response by the American people is almost like a president seriously being, being hurt. I mean, they are literally praying out loud on air at ESPN. I saw that the other night. Yeah, they, they actually took a moment and bowed their heads and prayed verbally, not right. even a moment of silence. No, that's exactly yeah. right. And, and and for years, the woke and the left side would say, you know, don't give me your thoughts and your prayers. And, you know, we hear that all the, you know, all the time from, from the hard left. But the, you're, you saw it with the entire Cincinnati Bengals team, the Buffalo Bills team, yep. guys crying and praying and then you saw it on ESPN but then also cable news in Hollywood this is this is and and, and Demar Hamlin is is clearly a, a valuable life as a human but he's not Aaron Rodgers he's not LeBron James this is one of you know several hundred players in the NFL and the outpouring of love and support. First of all, it tells you what kind of person he, he, he exactly, is. Exactly. He is with his foundation, his commitment to his family, yep. his parents, his siblings. So it shows you what kind of person he clearly is. But the outpouring of such a public outpouring is worthy of you know, when Reagan was shot or Pope John Paul. I mean, it's it's amazing yep. what we've seen here. And, I, and I'm trying, I'm still trying to process... I don't know if it's a some sort of um, cathartic release from 2022. I don't know if it is, you know, some uh, massive response to the woke left, which wants to bury religion and you know the thoughts of prayer and things like that. But the outpouring across all lines has just been stunning to me. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I, I think we would kind of land on we are praying for a swift and speedy recovery. Mm-hmm. We are praying for his family, uh, not just us here, but it, as you said, like people around the country. Right. Um, we are uh, one game away from crowning a college football national champion. Uh, before we dive into, I know what you want to dive in on. Uh, who's your pick, uh, TCU or Georgia? Well, I originally picked in the college bowl pick them that we have amongst our staff. I originally picked Michigan. I really thought Michigan uh, was going to win. I actually thought Ohio State had a real chance to beat Georgia. Uh, but I didn't pick them. I, I just don't see how TCU can handle the onslaught of talent that Georgia has. I mean, if they turn the ball over a few times and TCU hits a few big ones, I mean, anything's possible. They did beat Michigan in a kind of set of odd circumstances. Michigan fumbles on the inch line and different things like that. But I, I just think Georgia's going to win it. I picked Georgia in our bowl pick them, but I got to say – I think the way that TCU handled Michigan, I really give TCU more of a shot than I think anybody else uh, in the college football right. world. I, I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised at how well they did um, throughout the course of the year. Uh, I, I felt for them in terms of the way that they handled the they deserve to be there. Right, right. They got in and then they beat a great Michigan team. Right. And so the uh, I, I think they got a great shot. Now I, I agree with you. I think Georgia's just a phenomenal squad. It's going to take a special night of football on their part. They got to play pretty much perfectly on all parts of the the ball, especially special teams. Right. And I think, uh, but I think if they do that, they they can hang. And yeah. I'm hoping they do. And I'm really pulling for the TCU quarterback Max Dugan, who really seems like the consummate team player. And apart from being just a great quarterback, I'm really pulling for him. I think it'd be great. And and in college football, if I don't have a rooting interest, I'm typically pulling for the underdog anyway. Yeah, and and it would be great to see, you know, a, a squad like that pull it out. Um, and to that point. Uh, you know, talking about Cinderella story, uh, we we are pleased to announce uh, you did win I the did. Uh, JMI College Football Bowl Pick'em Contest. Mo- much to the consternation of every other staff member in the organization, you you actually I gotta give you you know props on this. You won it outright before the playoff. I, I it didn't matter who who won the playoff teams. So uh, either you are that good or the rest of us are that loud. Yeah, I don't think it was that I was that good. Sometimes it falls our way. Sometimes it doesn't. Although I didn't think we talked about it quite enough at the staff meeting earlier today that I had one. But it's it's okay. Um, we're going to have uh, lunch uh, for the staff. Typically, we do, for, for our listeners, we do uh, March Madness Bracket. And we do have started doing the college bowl pickums, and the winner gets lunch. But we're going to have lunch for between the staff. your between your kind of uh, expertise in college football and <laughs> Logan's on the college basketball 
uh, uh, game, I, I think the rest of us are, are just kind of looking for second place. It's all in great form. Yeah. All right, let's finish up and talk about uh, Forbes uh, naming Tampa the best city in the state to live in. Uh, you read the article. You want to talk about the metrics and, and so forth? Yeah, there are differing metrics, and it's, it's all kind of a witch's brew whenever they do these things. H- uh, housing prices, crime per capita, um, uh, salary income, and yeah. income, um, different things like that. But it's such, you know, to me, Florida is such a big and complicated state. Like, where are they drawing the line around Tampa? You know, like, where does it stop That's a and good start? Point. Where are they drawing, you know, they, they're drawing the line. I think Tampa's a great city. I think it's worthy of number one. I love Tampa, one of my favorite cities I in like the entire I like St. Pete state. a little bit more. Well, some do. Was that, it, was that included? Right, yeah. right. Is that Tampa Bay? No, it, it's not. I think it is Tampa, and yet, you know, spoiler alert, uh, St. Petersburg didn't even make the top ten. And so, I, you know, I, I'm always kind of skeptical of these lists because it is kind of a hodgepodge of different yeah, variables. Yeah, because they, they listed Jacksonville number two, which right. I, I like I, I like Jacksonville, but I'm if I'm picking my city in Florida to live in, I'm not picking there. And they picked Gainesville number three. Right. Which, as a Florida State Seminole, I'm really not, not picking. Moving to Gainesville. I'm not moving to Gainesville anytime <laughs> soon. But I will say Cape Coral, Miami, Melbourne, Sarasota yep. all made the list. I, I was surprised, I will say this, number nine, Tallahassee. Um, I, I, as a resident of the city, uh, over this past year, I would suggest, I, I might take issue just based on uh, uh, the crime surge we yeah, had. Yeah, Tallahassee has a lot of things it needs to clean up. Yeah. Uh, even though it did, ironically, it's a bl- very blue county. Um, the Democrats typically win 65 68% of the county. It, it experienced a, a mini red wave. Yes. We talked about this yep. on the last podcast, which I think is interesting. But there are a lot of things that have to work and be taken care of here in Tallahassee. Here's an interesting discussion if you look at these top 10 you know every one of them is red with the exception of maybe two Gainesville and or or three so seven out of ten Tallahassee Orlando and Gainesville would you say yeah yeah so so of the 10 seven reside in counties that voted for Governor DeSantis um you've got uh, Gainesville in Alachua County that went for uh, Charlie Crist. You've got Orlando, Orange County, which went for uh, Charlie Crist. And you've got uh, Tallahassee, Leon County, which went for Charlie it's Crist. interesting. Just I, yeah. I, I don't know what to make of it, but it's an interesting yep. dynamic. Well, Sal, I think that'll do it. This is the first episode of the new year, 2023, of Spill the Tea. I want to thank our listeners for joining us today. I'm Bob McClure, President and CEO of the James Madison Institute. And I'm Sal Nuzzo, Vice President of Policy, and we look forward to coming to you soon. Thank you for listening to Spill the Tea. For more content from the James Madison Institute, follow us on social media or check out our website at jamesmadison.org.